Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and to prepare for today's episode of The Detail, I've been playing video games in the office on company time. Yeah, tough gig. Someone's got to do it. I'm playing what's called a tower defence game. The repetitive thwack that you can hear is the sound of my strategically positioned monkey towers firing darts to destroy dozens, nay, hundreds of nefarious balloons. The balloons are making their way along a pathway towards a destination, my home base. If they reach there before I pop them, I lose a life. This is the music playing in the background. The game is called Balloons Tower Defense 5. It was released about 10 years ago. Every year, tens of millions of people from all around the world play this game on their smartphones. It costs five bucks, and it brings in hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue every month from new downloads and microtransactions. And it was created about 20 minutes north of Auckland City, on the second level of an industrial building in Kumu, by a company called Ninja Kiwi. I think I have arrived. Yes, there we go, Ninja Kiwi. <clears throat> We're down a, a driveway. We're in sort of an industrial area, really. Is it what I expected? I guess. I don't know. What did I expect? Like little little cartoon characters outside the place with a big mascot on the top. Lots of glass and steel like Google. Yeah, not really. Oh, forgot my phone, which is pretty important. Got to scan in, team of five million. Let's drive back and get that. Right, while that guy gets his life sorted, I will explain a bit about why I'm here. Gaming is one of the few businesses which actually did really well out of the pandemic. The total value of the industry is a hard figure to come by, but market intelligence firm IDC says global revenue from video games in 2020 was around 170 billion US dollars, more than the film industry and professional sports combined. In New Zealand, video game development brings in more than $300 million a year and employs more than 700 people. And one of those people is the co-founder of Ninja Kiwi, Chris Harris. G'day. You're Chris. Emil. Good to meet you. How are you? Come in. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Chris started the company in 2006 along with his brother Stephen. Stephen has a degree in geophysics and Chris was a beleaguered financial advisor. I was working in banks for a while and was really interested in um, personal financial advice and, you know, financial literacy and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I got a little bit tired of the restrictions that were inherent within, you know, financial advice in a bank, which is, you know, you're restricted to their products and um, the way they want to do things. So I thought I'd try and make a go of it on my own Mm. as an independent financial advisor. Which was all right, but it was a lot harder than I imagined it mm. would be because people just don't like to pay for advice that much. Mm. Um, and Stephen had recently uh, graduated from Media Design School's first, uh, what do they call it, postgraduate diploma in game development. Uh-huh. So he did that. He came out. He was learning flash development, did some work for uh, an ad agency, and then he came to me and said, I've got an idea for a business. What do you think? 
it was something around, I think it was around video ads or something. He was inspired by the Million Dollar webpage, mm. if you're familiar yeah, with that. the Pixel was, yeah. Yeah. The Million Dollar webpage was one of those weird experimental websites set up in 2005 by a 21-year-old British guy, Alex Tew. He'd just graduated from university, he had a hefty student loan and wanted to pay it off, so he set up a website with a million pixels on it. He then sold each of those pixels to advertisers one by one. Couldn't work now, of course, but back then it was a pretty novel idea. All the pixels sold out within months. This is a get-rich-quick scheme that actually worked. I said, well, video ads and stuff, it's all a bit boring. You've been doing games, why don't we have a crack at that? Mm. And so we started working out of his spare bedroom in Muriwai, um, probably late 2005, early 2006. Then we formed a company, and we had our first success reasonably early on with um, a game called Bloons. Chris is sort of underselling it here. Bloons was incredibly successful. Within four years, it had been played more than a billion times. Billion with a B. So you are pretty early... On that kind of buzz, right? But yeah. Particularly in New Zealand. We, yeah, I, we've always been a little bit of out, t- out of touch with the New Zealand games community, to be honest. We just do our own thing mm. here. But for Flash games, I don't know if we were particularly early, but we were. We sort of got in at the nexus, though. Mm. Flash was doing really well. Um, the iPhone came out, I think, in 2000 and... I want to say 2008, 2009, 2008, yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, and so that was when we got contacted by a mobile game developer in Scotland mm-hmm. saying, hey, your, your Bloons game is really awesome. It seems really popular. We'd love to port that to iPhone. Um, and at the time, we had no interest in mobile development, um, no capability, and we were just you know, sticking to our knitting, which was Flash. Mm-hmm. So we said, yeah, cool, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, we set up a rev shared revenue share deal with them um, and they did that and they cut us a check each month and, and everything was great I mean the game went I actually think that game went to number one on the charts um, and did continue to do really well so then that Scottish studio was like okay what can we do next can we do Bloons Tower Defense and we're like yep cool and then and then BTD did really well as yeah. well and um, you know, a few years went by. We still actually hadn't we hadn't met those guys for about the first three years. Really? We eventually <laughs> then met them at um, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, and we we called the meeting, and they were they were really worried. These two young guys from Scotland that were in their I think late twenties at the time, and they were really worried. We we're going to say, listen, it's been fun, but it's it's all oh, over, guys. Really? So they were really nervous. But we're just like, it's going really well. Do you guys want to do, you know, Bloons Tower Defense 5? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, so they were really happy, and that was, that was cool. Ninja Kiwi ended up hiring its own game development team, employing programmers and artists, before adding support staff and game testers and a chief operating officer, Scott Walker, a former senior figure at EA Games, which is one of the biggest game developers in the world. It now employs about 70 staff, 40 in New Zealand and another 30 in its office in Dundee. Its revenue stretches into the tens of millions. Earlier this year, the company was acquired by a Swedish e-sports company, MTG, for just a touch over 200 million New Zealand dollars. And Ninja Kiwi isn't alone. 
New Zealand is actually something of a hub for burgeoning video game studios. Dean Hall's company Rocketworks, which makes survival games, has just opened a new office in Auckland with a view to developing AAA games. These are high-production, big-budget games, the video game equivalent of blockbuster movies. West Auckland's Grinding Gear Games now employs more than 150 people in its headquarters in Henderson and made an after-tax profit of more than $50 million, and it won a BAFTA last year. The game development industry here is sophisticated. It's a totally viable pathway to a bountiful and well-paid career. I think there's an incre- there is an increasing awareness of the industry and of the potential there. It was quite fun going to some of the, you know, doing some early talks or going to some of the early game developer meetups that sometimes parents would come along to. I'm mm-hmm. talking, um, you know, 10 years ago and talking to a parent and going, yeah, yes, you can make a career out of this industry. This isn't, your your child is not wasting their time sitting in their room playing and making games. Yeah. That's that's as valid as, as any other kind of career path, potentially even more. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, now it is, you know, it is, it is absolutely a, a valid and extremely promising career. As far as the potential for the industry, I, I don't really know if people have a, have a great grasp on that because we don't have any, there's no sort of superstar game studios in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. There's no really, really big AAA studios that are, I mean, there, there is absolutely the, the potential. There could be a game studio in New Zealand that is doing you know, half a billion dollars a year in revenue. Mm. That's absolutely within reach. And that could happen within the next five years, potentially. Like, it, these things are possible. But it's sort of hard to fathom that maybe New Zealand could be batting that high on the world stage. I think that that's an, an interesting point, actually. Yeah. You couldn't, for example, have uh, Universal Studios movie studio in New Zealand, proximity to actors and agents and things like that, and sets, mm-hmm. and having that kind of infrastructure is really important. Yeah. Why is it fathomable for <laughs> one of the biggest video game companies in the world maybe to be situated in New Zealand? Well, I'll, I'll take you up on the movie studio comment in a second, but the, the for a game studio, you, you don't... You don't need much more than a building, power, and a bunch of computers. And then you can scale that game studio as big as you like, just based on money. Mm. If you, do you have enough money to hire all these people? Do you have enough money to fund this big project you're working on? That's why it's possible. I would say for the movie studios, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a massive change in that area. I think this pandemic has woken people up to the the massive fragilities that, that, that exists. So there'll be big companies around the world that will be looking at how New Zealand's handled the pandemic response and going, if we were just to go based on track record and looking forward, not looking forward to as I'm excited about, but looking forward to the next pandemic, which I think most people agree is an inevitability as opposed to a possibility, you would look at New Zealand and go, that country's done really well, uh, it's English speaking. It's got um, you know good leadership. It's the number one country in the world to do business, and I think voted for like the last ten years or something like yeah. that. There's a huge creative talent base here. So um, yeah, creative industries in New Zealand. Are, if we handle things right, uh, we'll have a you know there is a really 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 massive opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point there. Yeah. Yep. But a spanner has been thrown into the works. And it's come from across the Tasman. The Australian government has done something positive around gaming. Yes, you are hearing us correctly. 
Uh, as part of uh, some of the federal budget for 2021 announcements this week and next week, one part of it that's interesting to us is that they're offering a 30% tax break to Australian video game developers, uh, which is very, very cool. That's like, I think you can't say anything negative about this. This, Yeah, this, um, I was trying to, like, I was looking through everything, trying to think, it's not about trying to find a negative approach, but trying to be, like, sceptical, because you're like, well, this sounds too good to be true. And I think it just, there's nothing negative about this at all. Yeah, nothing negative, unless, of course, you want to keep video game developers in New Zealand. Chelsea Rapp is the chairperson of the New Zealand Game Developers Association and she joins me now. The biggest challenge for New Zealand going forward after the announcement of this incentive is that there's going to be a huge movement of talent and businesses um, across the Tasman to Australia um, to take advantage of it because the incentive you know, can help them provide higher paying jobs, more benefits, you know, creating more sustainable businesses. Uh, which will just make it very hard for businesses in New Zealand to compete. Australia's just come out with a pretty big announcement, right? Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Um, the Australian government announced a 30% uh, tax credit for games companies. So if you make a game and you spend a million dollars on that game in your tax year, you can claim $300,000 back. Which is a big, uh, massive deal. Which is a massive deal. It effectively means that the cost of development has dropped by 30% in Australia. Now, add to that that several states have said they would they will top that up by a further ten percent. Uh, you, you're getting to a forty percent discount to produce games. Now that will, uh, unless we can do something towards counterbalancing that, counteracting that, because that's a shot across the bow. That's Australia going. We've seen the value of games as a, as an industry. You know, COVID has woken us up to that fact, if, if nothing else. You know, digital economy is, having a strong digital economy as part of your your country's economy is extremely important. Mm. The ability for these game developers to be able to work from home during a lockdown situation and continue to make something work, even if you're not as productive, you're, you can still get a game release done. Mm. You know, we've done it. We've done, you know, we did a big update last year for BT6 with everyone, was, working, with from everyone working from home. Mm. So the Australian government's looked at that and said, this is, this is really worth investing in, and it's, and it's worth allowing games companies to be really competitive or for Australia to be a really competitive base for games companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as much as, as we love New Zealand and we'll always stay here, um, I don't know, looking, looking down the road, it wouldn't be completely out of the question if we, would, if we were to open up a, you know, look at, creating a new games team yeah. in a, in a, for a completely new project, it wouldn't be out of the question to go, well, let's, let's do that in Australia. Well, why wouldn't you if it's 40% discount? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, again, for us, we don't, our game budgets aren't huge. We're talking, um, you know, the, I think Bloom's TD6 probably cost about $3 million for us to launch, mm. and then it probably costs a, about a million or two a year to continue to work on, something mm. like that. <clears throat> um but where it really makes a difference is games that have budgets in the tens of millions of dollars. Mm. So you will definitely see uh, big AAA game studios opening offices in Australia because mm. you, you take the cost of development way down. And, and, and again, because of the way you know, big multinationals move their money around based on 
you know, tax tax breaks. Yeah, tax breaks. So you you could develop in Australia, get this massive tax rebate, and then you could, but you you could have the IP owned in the Cayman Islands exactly. or yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. Ireland or something like that, <laughs> and so you're not paying any corporate tax either. So it's I don't think it's particularly healthy in the long run, but we've got a like I, I don't think any industry should should rely on tax incentives to be successful, mm. and that's one thing I I do challenge is like if you can't if you can't make things work without government handouts, then maybe you shouldn't be trying to make things work at all. That's probably a conversation for another day. But there are cases where that is important. And when you've got an industry that is, you know, it's on the cusp of explosive growth, which I think the games industry is. Like um, in 2020, the global games industry was worth 167 billion US dollars. Mm. All right, that's bigger than the movie industry, which was, I think, 136 billion, which includes all home entertainment. Yeah. The music industry is worth something like 55 billion. So it's three times the size of the music industry globally. And it's projected to grow to nearly 300 billion US dollars by 2027. Yeah. So countries have to be looking at, at that growth opportunity and go, whatever it takes to make sure that we get a, a good slice of that is, is important. Um, because you could, New Zealand could easily have a billion dollar industry, a multi billion dollar industry. But we need to really. We need to really pull out all the stops to make that happen. This is a drum people in the gaming industry have been beating for quite some time. Back in February last year, Rocketworks CEO Dean Hall spoke to RNZ's Karen Hay about the subsidies enjoyed by the film industry and how that affected video game developers. The comparison is apt because we actually compete for pretty much the same staff. A number of our staff are ex-Weta Digital. If you give one industry access to funds, and you know, I might add that video games are specifically excluded from uh, the screen production grant, then you're making an artificial playing field. And I think this is kind of what I'd describe some childish decisions that happen from politicians that have very far-reaching consequences when you can't have it both ways. The government are saying, film is awesome, let's give them some money. They can't also say video games is awesome, let's give them effectively nothing, and then be surprised uh, when there's a massive skill shortage. What sort of government involvement is there with the gaming industry at all? I mean, does it, does it, does it create a NZ kind of thing? You'd apply to create um, NZ for funding we, or something like that? So, very little. Yeah, we, we, we can't apply for the, I think it's called the Creative Screen Grant or something like that. So we don't, although I think the gaming industry gets lumped into some creative and arts kind of umbrella um, which is cool because we are creative and we are arty. But I, I think in a perfect world we would we would be treated we would be treated separately to the movie industry. You know, we would have our maybe our own um, we, we wouldn't have our own government minister, but we we should probably have something that separates us. More specialised than that, yeah. So what I'm saying is, I'm, I don't think that the that the games industry should be taking any of the movie industry's money. Mm. But boy, we need some attention, um, and there is none. I think. I remember going to um, game Auckland game meetups, which they, they hold them every month, and they're still running. Um, but we used to, I think, pretty sure we used to get support from AT to, you know, they might pay for the pizza or something like that. Something really, you know, an insignificant cost, a couple of hundred bucks once a month. Mm. And then that stopped. And even trying to get support for, you know, the New Zealand Game Developers Conference, which runs, you know, every year. It's being held in, in Wellington this year. Um, getting any any sort of government support for that, I think, is uh, a 
think is impossible. Like, mm. like no one's really that interested in helping out, which is okay because we're we're doing it ourselves. But, but imagine what we could do with just a little bit of money. Yeah. What? Why? Why is there no interest? Do you think? I don't know. It seems really puzzling. Yeah. Like Flappy Bird, which came out of, I think it was Thailand yeah. or Vietnam, was made by one guy, yeah. and at its peak was making 50,000 US dollars a day. Made by one guy, he probably spent about a week on it, <laughs> or two weeks, I don't know. I don't want to belittle how long it could have taken, but it wasn't a huge, long, expensive development. There is opportunity. I mean, there are. if the government said, we would love to, but we're actually spending all of our... You know, all of our energy and uh, resource on climate change. I'd be like, okay, cool. You sort that out first. I, I would get it. <laughs> but, but you know, there is there is the opportunity to, to help really reinforce New Zealand's future as a technologically capable and and founded economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and games games should be playing a big part of that mm-hmm. because games are more than just. Candy Crush, and they're more than just Grand Theft Auto. There's there's a there's a huge amount of stuff going on in the games industry, from you know, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality. Um, there's sort of immersive worlds, and there's casual stuff, and there's educational stuff, and there's there's stuff for mental health. There's there's all sorts. Come on, Amelia, let's not research anymore. Get off that. Ten more minutes. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Alex Aylett McMillan and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Ninja Kiwis, Chris Harris. Ka kite anu. <laughs>